It is such a joy and delight to see your faces. I preached a whole year looking at a lens, a little glass lens, and the thing that was called a camera. This is so much nicer. And of course, you can see my handsome features better this way. Did I give you, you've heard my father's poem, For Beauty, I'm Not a Star. There are others more handsome by far. But my face, I don't mind it because I'm behind it. It's those out in front that I jar. What a joy, what a delight to be together with the saints of God. Again, when the enemy gives a frontal assault on biblical truth and does so in a very overt and continuous and persistent manner, it is so important that the man of God gives God's perspective from God's word. It's important that we understand what God says about these issues. And it's important, dear people, that we understand the heart as well as the mind of God. God's heart is always out towards sinners. I don't know why. To me, it's embarrassing to mature in the Christian faith. Did you hear what I just said? It's embarrassing to mature in the Christian faith because the more you mature, the more you realize how far short your life is of what it ought to be. Do you find that? And, and the more you realize that, the more you wonder, how in the world can God still keep loving me? The wonderful truth is God is not now, just now discovering how bad we are. We're making that discovery. God knew it all along. Before anything ever started, he knew all of it, and he knows stuff we haven't figured out yet. God's a wonderful God. He's patient with sinners. He's kind with sinners. And the Creator became the Redeemer, and he died for sinners. Wow. So when we are talking about these moral issues, we want to be careful that we do so not only in light of the mind of God, but in light of the heart of God. We don't want to lose the heart of God in in any of this. A number of you people get the Frontline magazine. And if you do, I want to encourage you again, take time to read through this issue. Wow, is this helpful. Now, this ties in with the messages we're bringing. We don't just go down to the San Francisco library to try to figure out what marriage and morality is all about. The source... The source, the primary source for marriage and morality is God's word. It's the word of God. The creator, the design, the order of creation. We get it out of God's word. And this particular issue focuses in on the authority and, this is a wonderful word, sufficiency. The authority and sufficiency of scripture. Is the word of God sufficient? How do we know? How do we know how to define morality? How do we know how to define marriage, sexuality? How do we know about all of these? How do we know how to properly define these things? Now, the problem is that there are very few preachers that, that any longer believe in the total sufficiency of God's word. That's tragic. We have a world, we have a world that is guided in philosophy by evolution. 
which means it's anything you want it to be. Evolution. And they're looking to the world, the world of what we call science. By the way, evolution is not science and never will be. Science has been redefined. Hear me now, this is important. So many Christians have been deceived into believing that they can believe science. Well, you can believe true science, but the problem is everything that presents itself as science is not science. Most of what goes as science today is the, opinion, is the opinions of people that live and work in the scientific world has nothing to do with genuine science. My father used to have a saying, he was a, he was a dirt farmer, had a 10th grade education, and he would always want to know when someone spoke with authority about something that happened somewhere sometime, he would say, Vas, you dare, Charlie? Because if you weren't there, then how can you talk about what happened and you didn't see it? You were, Vas, you dare, Charlie? Well, I want to know where the evolutionists, Vas, you dare, Charlie? When the Big Bang happened, nobody was there. Nobody saw it. Vas, you dare, or vas, you dare, Charlie, when, when, when one species turned into another species, which has never happened in the scientific world to date, period. It's never been observed, period. And to say that it has is a scientific lie, because nobody's seen it. It doesn't belong to science if you can't see it and you can't measure it. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. And, and, and uh, have you... Well, anyway, everything is random chance. Are you, are you awake? Coffee time here? So, so they have this thing they called natural selection. Okay? Natural selection. Wow! But there is no creator. There is no intelligent mind behind all of this stuff. So how can anything be natural because natural means it occurs the same way all the time. But it can't occur at the same time all the time if it's random chance. Those two things are mutually exclusive. Are you awake? If there's random chance, there can't be natural selection. And selection is an intellectual process of, of choosing one thing and, re and rejecting another. That has to do with intelligence. And if there is no God and no intelligence involved, you cannot have natural selection. It's an oxymoron. So what, what the scientific world does, it, it, it attributes divine attributes to evolution and substitutes evolution and its philosophy for the Bible and says the Bible is faith and evolution is science. It's the lie of the day. It's an intellectual lie. It's a philosophical lie. It's total dishonesty intellectually. I'm, I'm getting in the flesh here. I'm tempted to have a little fun with you. Can I have a little fun with you? I won't get through the sermon today. But the, the problem, we're, we're talking about marriage, okay? How do you define marriage? How do you define sexuality and gender? How do you find definition and certainty about these matters? How do you do it? How do you do it? All reasoning is circular. All reasoning is circular. All reasoning. All reasoning begins with certain presuppositions. And your presuppositions, what you, what you, what you assume to be true at the beginning, always determines what you believe when you get done about anything and everything. 
Okay? Now, let me tell you things you presuppose that you cannot prove. All thinking is presuppositional, all reasoning is circular, and all presuppositions are not provable. Now, the first thing you cannot prove is the reality of your own existence. Prove to me that you really exist. If I don't want to believe it, I don't have to. You may be the figment of somebody's imagination. You may be a nightmare somebody's happening somewhere. You cannot prove the rationality of your own mind. You think you're rational. You presuppose that. You can't prove that. I've been called an idiot a lot of times. A lot of people don't believe in the rationality of my mind. You can't prove the rationality of your own mind. You, you presuppose it, and I think rightly so, but you can't prove it. You cannot prove, you cannot prove uh, your relationship uh, uh, to a material world that enables you to derive truth and facts. I want to ask you a, color, a question. What color is this? Well, the nearest you get to it is blue, but, it, but it's not blue. It's every color in the light spectrum except blue. It reflects the blue light and absorbs all the rest of them. It's every color except blue, and you see blue. If you begin believing there is no God, you, you're, you will never, never believe in creation, if that's your presupposition. And if you believe there is a God, you will always believe in creation when you get done. All reasoning is circular. Now, are you still with me now? You start with no God and you end up with no God. You start with God and you end up with God. And there are intellectual reasons that you can give, circular reasoning, to justify both of those positions. Now, what's the difference between the two? The difference between the two is a moral choice for God or against God. Remember, Jesus said, that we're not condemned because we're sinners. Jesus said we're condemned because we don't believe, and the reason we don't believe is because we choose light instead of dark. I'm sorry, we choose the darkness instead of the light. We reject the light, and we choose the darkness. It's a moral choice that's going on. And in this whole debate, when we debate scientifically, we debate the marriage issue, we debate all of these things. The whole thing is, is there a God or not, and do we accept God or not? That's, that's the bottom line of all of this. And is God's word sufficient to reveal to us who God is? Is it sufficient to give us the information that we need to know who God is and who we are and how we relate to God and how God has sent his son to be the savior? Of, is it sufficient to give us what we need? to answer the basic and important questions of life. Is God's word sufficient? And it is. And that is why we have this text on the beginning page of your notes out of Romans chapter 1. The God's power in the gospel in verse 16. God's rightness in verse 17. Verse 18, the outrage of God because men just absolutely will not accept him. They disrespect him. Uh, they they uh, 
put him off lightly, will not allow him in their lives. Verse 19, things are well known about God in the creation, made and known in detail to them. God's not seen attributes and so on. And those that don't believe, Paul says, are indefensible. They're without excuse. And what happens in this process of rejecting, and we talked about this last Sunday, is that, 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 that the rejection of God becomes powerful in its impact upon our moral lives. That is, the, that is considered what is right and what is wrong in our personal life and in our, in our world. And God delivered them over. He's talking about certain ones that persisted in this unbelief. And we talked to you last week about Pharaoh and his hardening of his heart and how that after he hardened his heart numbers of times, God moved in and hardened Pharaoh's heart and then hardened, Pharaoh hardened his heart again and, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You play around, listen, you play around with truth and ultimately your mind becomes corrupted. That's the warning. Turn to page two. Notice the highlighted thing here. And this is, I'm just going to go here directly to the next point in our notes. Everything without exception in all of creation originated in the heart and mind of God. This is tremendously important. If it all originated in the heart and mind of God, now are you awake? Got some questions. If everything that exists originated in the heart and mind of God, was there then a design in what happened? Was there a purpose in what happened? Was it a wise design and purpose? Was it a good design and purpose? Well, that depends on what you believe about God, okay? If God is wise, then his creation has wisdom written all over it. If God is good, then his creation originally had goodness written all over it, all right? Everything without exception in all of creation originated in the heart and mind of God and was brought into existence by the word, by the spoken word of God, by the utterance of God. That's powerful. Divine purpose and divine design are the foundation of all existence. Now what's happening in our country, and and if you'll read the surveys, you'll find out that about half of the so-called evangelical Christian population in America agrees with the evolutionists on these issues. Why? Because they don't know God's word. They don't know God's word. So divine purpose and divine design are the foundation of all existence, period. That's where we begin. Then we go to page number three, and we go to the middle of the page, a little bit below the middle of the page, the first underlined point, there is only one, and notice the word absolute. There is only one absolute standard for and definition of morality. Only one. Notice the yellow highlight beneath that, and there is only one absolute standard and definition of reality. The real world exists because God said it, God spoke it. The utterance of God created the real world, period. Our existence depends on what God in the councils of eternity determined we would be. We are not the result. I should have you turn there. Maybe I will. Maybe I, maybe I should go there right now. Let's read this again. There's only one absolute standard and definition of reality. And morality not based on, I'm sorry, morality not based on reality is really no morality at all. You look, think that one through. 
Uh, take your Bibles and, and turn to Hebrews chapter 11 for just a moment. I hadn't intended to go here, but let's go here for just a minute. This is one of the most profound statements in all the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 11. Find it and fix your eyes on it. Find it and fix your eyes on it. Hebrews chapter 11 is that hall, is that hall of, of faith. All of these men that by faith did these amazing, marvelous things in their lives or accomplished them. Notice Hebrews 11 starts, faith is the substance. Really, the word substance here means that which gives underlying reality to existence of things hoped for. The word evidence here means the uh, conviction, the, the, un, the, the unalterable, the unopposed conviction of things not seen. By it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, and this is the verse that just absolutely amazes me, through faith we understand. The word understand here in the Greek language means to grasp or comprehend with the mind. It means to get a hold of something to where you comprehend it with your mind, okay? Through faith we comprehend with our minds that the worlds, now the word worlds here is not the cosmos. It's the ionos, it's the ages, it's the historical framework in which you and I live. Not only was the world created, but the history around our lives was created. Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? The cosmos, the, the, the material universe around us was created by God. But, but, but the history, the historical context in which you and I are born and birthed and live, the events around, that surround our lives today, that's the Ionos. Through faith we comprehend with our minds that the Ionos, the context of history around my life and your life was framed. And the word framed here means to be equipped and outfitted thoroughly. Why do you go to college? Because you want to be equipped for a certain occupation. And if you get a good education, it will equip you quite thoroughly. What do you do when you go to war? You want to get the equipment. You want to get all of the battle armament. You want to get all of the parts, that the, the things that the soldiers have to wear to preserve life and to fight the battle. You want to be thoroughly equipped. Paul says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that the man of God may be perfect, that's mature, complete, thoroughly outfitted for every good work. What, 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 what the writer here is saying is the ages in which we live were outfitted in detail. Your life is not an accident. Your circumstances are not accident. What's going on in our nation is not an accident in the mind of God. All of it was equipped and framed and outlined to the, out, outfitted to the very detail by the heart and the mind of God. With the result that it was framed by the utterance of God. Let's, uh, I've got to go there first. By the utterances of God. God makes the decisions. Your marriage should not be what you decide it should be. It should be what God decides it should be. Your life in the business world ought to be what God decides it to be. Your moral life should be what God decides it to be. The utterance of God. That is what has put all of this in place. You'll remember I said there is only one absolute standard and definition of reality. There is only one, and morality is not, that is not based, I'm sorry, morality not based on reality is no morality at all. 
What is reality? What is truth? And America today and the churches today are living by the lie that it's relative and you get to decide what it is and you have to choose what gender you want to be and you have to choose what you want marriage to be or not to be. You get to make that choice. God has nothing to do with that. There never was a greater lie. All of this thing has been outfitted in detail by the utterances of God with the result. This is the result. He talks about reality here. Things which are seen tangible things, things which you can see, you can feel, you can observe, you can observe them. Science, if you please. True science. Things that you can see with your eye, tangible things in your life, did not come into existence from things that are tangible and that appear. They originated with God. All reality has its existence in God. And it comes into being through the word of God. So the only thing you can trust, hear me, are you hearing me, are you listening to me? The only thing ultimately you can trust about reality is the word of God. Did you get that? It's not the latest declarations from Harvard or Stanford. It's not the latest opinion from the scientific world. We are living in a day where we are told socially to accept things that biologically are absolutely not true. We're supposed to believe the lie, propagate the lie, live according to the lie, tolerate the lie. And that's not the place of the church. That's not the place of the church. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and what will the truth do? It'll set you free. God is on the side of the sinner. Sin is not on the side of the sinner. God is on the side of the sinner. Can I say that again? Sin is not on the side of the sinner. God is on the side of the sinner. If he weren't, where would I be today? What a God. What an amazing God. That's why we sang at the beginning of this message time, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It was grace, the favor of God that taught my heart to fear, and grace, my fear is relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. So everything you see came into being through things that were not tangible and not seen. God did not take a small mass and explode it to get the universe. It all originated in the heart and mind of God and was brought into reality and being through the utterance of God. That's where you get reality. So if you're still awake, the only one that really understands reality is God. And the only one then that, humanly speaking, Humanly speaking, that understands reality is the one who understands the heart and mind of God. So the only truly educated person is someone who knows God. This is amazing. Through faith, we grasp with our minds that the ages, the historical framework of my life and my being was put together and outfitted and equipped thoroughly and completely by the utterances of God. 
with a result that every reality in my life came not out of anything that's tangible, it came from the Word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, bara, out of nothing. And that's what this verse is saying. And these people in the Hebrews 11 understood, understood this. They understood that their future, are you listening to me? They understood that their future was not tied into the circumstances in the world around which they lived, not by the ionos of their lives. Their future was not tied to the ionos, the circumstances of life in which they found themselves. Their future was tied to God and his utterances. And if God said it was going to happen, his utterances created the reality. It was a reality. They tied by faith to that reality. And things that were totally impossible happened through a history that is unbelievable as you go through the, through, through the uh, book of Hebrews chapter 11. Wow! Wow! More secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. Are you in God's hands? Have you put your life in God's hands? He, he invented the past. He's in charge of the present. And he invents the future out of nothing. And it doesn't matter. He doesn't get voted out of office at the next election. Nobody's going to put him out of office. He's God. And if he weren't everything I says he is, there is no way to account for two trillion galaxies, each one having over 10 billion stars, let alone what we see in our planet, on our planet Earth. So when we want to define morality, what is right and what is wrong, what works and what doesn't work, there is only one absolute standard for and definition of morality. And there's only one absolute standard and definition of reality. If God hasn't put it in place, it's not in place permanently. Anything man does is like a tree. It'll die and fade away. The grass will die and fade away, but the word of God endures forever. Okay? Let's take a look, and I'm just going to begin this, and then we'll have to come back to this. We'll have to come back to this. Take a look on your outline now. Number one, the foundation of all morality is God's created order. The foundation of all morality is God's created order. And I reference that to Romans 1.20 because from the time of the creation of the cosmos, that, that's the ordered universe, God's not seen attributes, both his eternal power and his standing as God, are being both intellectually grasped and clearly seen through that which he has made. The result, they are without excuse, they are indefensible. And we are going to spend some time in Psalm 19. In Psalm 19. Who better can tell us what the world is and what it means but the one who created it? Yes? Then we go to page number four. Point number two. The foundation of morality is God's created order. Number two, the revelation of all genuine morality is the word of God who is the creator. Okay? He's the creator. Go to page five, point number three. The content of all morality is the plan and purpose of God for his creation. May I say that if you want happiness... And that should not be your goal in life. 
Your goal in life to be, should be to glorify God. If you glorify God, you will be a happy person. Happiness is the result of glorifying God. But the content of all morality is the plan and purpose of God for his creation. There is no way you can be happy in life. You will be, you will be discontented and unhappy when you try to make your own self the center of your world. The selfish person is the most miserable, miserable person in the world. The more selfish you are, the more miserable you will be. I promise you that. You weren't created for that. You were created to glorify God. And if you refuse to, that, to do that, you are going to be a lonely, isolated, miserable person. Period. You don't need to go to a psychiatrist. You need to check in on what God has for you. That'll solve a lot of problems in your life. The content of all morality is the plan and purpose of God for his creation. Let me repeat a story that I've told you before. I'm not getting senile yet. But about the dear lady was getting up in years and hadn't found a husband. So she called the pastor and got an appointment. And she breathed out her woes in the pastor's office. And the pastor said, well, you know, dear lady, that God has a plan, one man for one woman and one woman for one man. And he said, you can't improve on that. And she said, pastor, I don't want to improve on it. I just want to get in on it. Well, if, if you are not in on the plan and purpose of God for your life, you are a miserable person, period. 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 You can't put God out of the center of your life and be a happy person. Period. It doesn't work that way. When self is at the center of your life, you are guaranteed misery and disappointment and disillusionment. And then four, the motive for all morality is the blessing and benefit of all mankind. Why does God tell us his moral standard? Well, God's moral standard is is captured in one word. God's moral standard is captured in one word. It's a four-letter word. Love. Love. If you love another person, you don't do anything immoral with them. You just don't, you don't violate other people's morality for selfish purposes. Not if you love them, you don't. Love doesn't do that. So much that goes for love today is a selfish is selfishly taking advantage of somebody else for your own sensual sexual purposes. And then you throw them away like garbage in a, in a garbage can when you get done. That's, 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 the, that's the story of the college campuses of the USA. Love. Love doesn't steal. Love doesn't lie. Love doesn't fight. The bottom line of all morality is love. Now find fault with that, please. Love means you put the other person ahead of yourself. It means you're a servant to all those in your world, regardless of what it costs you, and you don't expect any return for it. I want you to improve on that. Tell me what's wrong with that. You say, oh, you Baptist, you are so narrow, and you are so dogmatic, and oh, what's wrong? No, we just want you to love, genuinely. We want you not to do anything to anybody else that violates their best interests. Period. You don't like that? You think, I should go around taking advantage of everybody. Uh, If I don't like you, I should cut your head off. That makes me happy. That's okay. I rob you. I cheat you. I extort from you. 
I break into your house to get what I want. You got more than I do, and I—it's not fair. And I have a right to get because because somewhere along the line, uh, well, just just go with that where you want to go. You mean to say that loving people, loving people is a bad thing? It's a narrow thing. It's a bigoted thing. It's narrow-minded to love people. Really, really. For me to serve you and, and, to, and to love you and to do things in your best interest because I choose to do it, not because you've done anything for me or I'm going to get anything back, but I simply want your life to be benefited from my life. I want to pour my life into your life. And you say that's narrow and bigoted and unacceptable? Somebody's got a screw loose somewhere. We're supposed to go beating up on people, taking everything we, we want from them, beat up on them when they do things we don't like. Is that the way we're supposed to live? That's a good way to live? Wow. Wow. God so loved the world that he gave his uniquely begotten son with the express purpose that everyone who is believing into him, into Jesus Christ, will never perish, but will have eternal life. Think like Jesus did. He didn't grab a hold of and hang on to all that was rightfully his, but he left it all. And he humbled himself, he humiliated himself, and he became a servant to men that hated him and rejected him. He became the Son of God, our Savior. Took upon himself the form of a servant. Humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Be like him. I want to ask you, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? You have a choice what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. That's, that's, those are moral choices you make. And so what our, what our culture is telling us, the pagan culture around us, and in fact the evangelical Christian culture is telling us, you, you exist for your own benefit. You are the center of your universe. And if you want it and if you need it, you have a right to it and you should go for it. And, and God is this big ATM machine. And anytime you want something, you go to your ATM machine and get whatever you want. No, God does not exist for me in the strictest sense of the word. I exist for him. And it is only when I realize that I exist for him that he exists for me totally. Because everything that honors him, he must honor. Yeah? And he never fails to honor. Do you love him? Do you know him? Morality is not a burden to people that love God and love their fellow man. Love doesn't count the burden of morality. It lives a strictly disciplined life to to the benefit of everyone in its world. <laughs> and the result is when the funeral is comes, there are people that line up at the casket and said, I was blessed, 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 and I was blessed. Totally different than the place where most people live. Oh, I've got to quit. Got to wrap it up. Got to wrap it up. Do you know the Lord? Genuinely. Have you been genuinely saved? Have you been converted? Has God changed your life wonderfully? Has he done that for you? Has he done that for you? And have you just decided, look, that God is going to be my God. He's going to be the God of my life. 
He's not only a God, he's not only the God, he is my God. He is my God. And I want him to have my life entirely from top to bottom and inside out. Inside out. Find in your hymn books, hymn number 18. Hymn number 18. Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of life's treasure. Jesus, thy perfect likeness, likeness to wear. I've got to find it here in my own hymn book, but we, we, we need to sing this hymn together. Hymn number 18, 1 8. Hymn number 18. I hope your heart is encouraged. Dear people, we, people, Bible-believing people are on the right side of everything. Get me? We are not on the wrong side. We are not on the wrong side. We are not antisocial. People that love their neighbors are not antisocial people. We are not anti-cultural. Jesus loved sinners. We love sinners. Doesn't matter who. Jesus loved all of us, and most of us, well, all of us were a mess when he picked us up. So... We're on the right side of this thing, and I want to encourage you. Hold your head high, not, not in pride, but in, in a great reverence toward God. Hold your head high. I'm, I'm in partnership with my Creator. We're going in the same direction, and I'm living with divine purpose. And I know my God, He made me. He made me with divine purpose. I have found that purpose. I'm rejoicing in that purpose. I'm persisting in it. And my life is worthwhile because I'm pouring it out. I'm not pouring it in. I'm pouring it out into the lives of other people to the blessing of everybody in my world. What a way to live. I challenge you to do it. You will be blessed.